and start your engines. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, welcome to our guest segment. He was with us, I think, a couple of years ago when we were on the network, and uh, now we're commercial-free and we're streaming directly over the internet, and he's back with us. His name is Eric Burkhardt, and you can find his book on Amazon, which is a fascinating read about his life as a wartime spy for the CIA, including even this bizarre story of him being poisoned. Uh, his book is... Maka Barat Baby. Uh, and uh, you can find him by going to Amazon, type in his name, Eric E. E-R-I-C, last name B-U-R-K-H-A-R-T, and we'll put a link to his book in our social media as well. Eric Burkhart, good to have you back with us, sir. Hi, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. I've, I've become a, a bit of an addict to your show, I have to tell you. Oh, okay. So you're you're also a listener to the show. I did not know that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I started listening and then I, I can't turn it off. You you have really a, an interesting variety of guests and uh, it's always something new for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, so there, uh, <laughs> there is. I mean, everything from like what? From like ghosts to uh, uh, true crime people. I mean, I've, I pretty much uh, have it covered A to Z. I, I, I. I told my producer, I said, I don't know where we're going to go with the interview, but I want to have Eric back on because I certainly want and, and we love the fact that when you were on, I think the last time we were talking about the Las Vegas shooter and you kind of jumped in with both feet with some thoughts on that. And I thought, you know, if we could start out by asking you about this whole rigging of the election uh, allegation and idea, you know, I said it in my first segment. I don't really know what to think. I feel like we're living in like two parallel universes. I mean, I see all of these stories of all of this at a minimum, just really strange, bizarre stuff going on with this last election and all these mathematicians coming out and fake ballots and trucks showing up in the middle of the night and algorithms that say that is is are you familiar as a CIA guy? Is this whole idea of these Dominion voting machines potentially being rigged is this something that is possible or is this just crazy talk you know until i started paying uh, a bit of attention to the dominion uh issue uh, I, I can't say i was overly concerned uh, you might remember before the dominion there was a, the conversation regarding hammer and uh scoreboard or scorecard. Yeah, hammer and, hammer and scorecard, right. 
Yes, which allegedly the CIA had created to use uh, in the uh, 2004-2005 elections in Iraq in case the Iraqis picked someone we didn't like, we could push a button and our guy would get... Uh, uh, none of that is actually accurate, but, uh, you know, there's always a little bit of truth to these to the bigger lies, and that kind of helps them slide into public discourse. But uh, as for the the issue of Dominion, Dominion's a little different. Uh, the the way that Dominion, it's on how it's been explained to me, is uh, designed to work, uh, makes a lot more sense with regards to our system. Now, uh, I, like everyone else, uh, I have political opinions. I did vote. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into too much detail there, except to say that, like most people, I'm not the happiest guy in the world with the choices that we have. But, you know, at the end of the day, you, you got to make a choice. Right. And um, for me, that choice is made on policy. I don't make my policy on whether or not I want to have someone over for dinner. Um, and so that's how I voted, which, which policies to me as a, as an intelligence officer, someone who's still very active in the community, which, uh, person is going to be most aware of national security issues, uh, for me. And that's, that's how I made my decision. Um, I, I, I've got to tell you COVID, the COVID-19, subject always seems to float to the top for me as well. Um, and um, I, I was a bit surprised that I was still thinking so much about uh, national security issues during this election when we've got this, this COVID monster uh, as a real priority for everybody. But then I realized, well, heck, Eric, this is a national security issue as well. It's Eric, we're, 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 your, your, your voice is kind of going in and out a little bit. I'm just going to ask you if you could try to keep right into your uh, phone or microphone there, because uh, we don't want to miss a word you're saying, but continue on, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to try and that's probably where I, the way I was uh, sitting. Oh, there is you this go. Any better? That's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. Uh, Jim, when I was working as a case officer for the CIA, I was involved in uh, intelligence collection involving the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. You may recall the Ebola outbreak uh, in the early 2000s in, in West Africa, uh, in Sierra Leone and uh, 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 Guinea and Mali. and It was a, a nightmare for those countries. And um, I French is my first language, and I ended up doing a lot of work for the CIA in Africa because of my language capability. Well, I learned a lot about the issue of those types of viruses, pandemics, the fear of using drones to deliver those types of things. Um, and during my work for the agency, I met a number of researchers, U.S.-based researchers, who met with us uh, as part of their own interest in being patriots and national security to help us understand the issue better of viruses and pandemics and Ebola and how dangerous it might become to the United States. Well, one thing that I 
learned a lot about was something called a biosafety level four facility. You are probably familiar with that term. I've heard the term, um, but I'm curious where you're going to go with that. Well, a biosafety, a biosafety level four facility is a facility that is constructed exclusively uh, as a safety mechanism so that people, uh, researchers can handle the most dangerous viruses there are on the planet. Hmm. And there are only uh, a, a select number of these facilities uh, around the world, and they are supposed to be inspected. And um, the Chinese recently built one. And when I say Chinese, I'm talking about the Red Army. Uh, every time I say China and Chinese, you can put Red Army in there. I'm sorry, but that's just a reality. You can say Chinese, uh, you can say Chinese or Red Army on this show. Either way, we're good with that. I know, okay. a, lot of, I know a lot of places. A lot of places you can't say the virus came from China or anything like that anymore. I'm not sure why. I guess the truth is banned in in some places, but not here. Well, this, this certainly, I'm not a sinophobe of, of any note. Um, I can tell you that the Red Army built that facility in Wuhan. The Chinese have what I believe is the newest biosafety level four facility. There are biosafety level three and level two facilities, but those are not uh, authorized to handle the same type of dangerous uh, viruses for research purposes. Um, we have a facility in Galveston that I think is the best in the world. And I say that because it's the one that I would be familiar with. Um, and when I realized that the Chinese were building this facility, I knew exactly what it was about, that they were going to be practicing biological warfare, not necessarily looking to attack anybody, but they wouldn't mind having the knowledge to be able to put something together pretty quickly. Um, they don't have the same limitations as the rest of parts of the world about, well, that's ethically not a good idea. You know, you really shouldn't be playing those kind of games. Um, I can tell you that the, the facility we have in Galveston at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston does not try and play war games with viruses, but the Chinese do. And my opinion, and I have, it's just an opinion, is that something got loose. Uh, and, um, it's become a national security issue. Why do you think, and Eric, why, why, do, why do you think that that idea has been so quickly dismissed? Because in the very beginning, um, there was a lot of news reports that came out that said that scientists that were studying this COVID-19, that there were elements of it that did not appear to be naturally occurring. And that that was a concern not. because not only was it a concern that it could have been a bioweapon, not just because of that, but also when it's not naturally occurring, that means that the normal avenues that you would go through to try to deal with a virus may or may not work. And and this is why we've got this, these anomalies where people are supposedly, they get the virus, they get the antibodies, and then some are getting it again. And now there are these different weird strains. It's, it's like once you hack nature and you create something like this, 
it's not necessarily going to follow the textbook of how you deal with something like this. But is it just that they don't want us to be afraid, which is why we can't go there and even speculate that that could be the case? Well, Jim, you'll you'll um, there's no doubt in my mind you're going to remember what I'm about to mention. I would say maybe it was about two decades to three decades ago that the buzzword became you can't really criticize China because they've got the biggest economy in the world. You can't you've got to kind of look past those human rights abuses because they've got the biggest economy in the world. Right. I mean, the biggest <laughs> economy in the world covered every kind of type of abuse, religious discrimination, discrimination against women, uh, all because, uh, you know, they've got the biggest economy in the world. And what we realized where I was working is that tech California tech firms were beginning to start pouring money into China. So it became a political issue. Well, those firms, which are still very political, as I'm sure you know, are still as vocal as they were before. And they're still as influential as they were before. And it makes it very, very difficult to criticize China. Uh, you know, we're looking at a country that occupies another country, and I'm referring to Tibet. They they actually occupy another country, and nobody seems to mind that um, because, again, it's because they have that gigantic economy. Um, there are some interesting things that, that are happening in the world right now that I think are going to uh, cost China a, a little bit of a, a, a difficulty. Uh, their, their international uh, campaign uh, is going to slow down just a bit. They've become very, very active in Africa. And the reason why they've become very, very active in Africa is because they need all of those minerals and they need all of those metals uh, that you find in mostly West Africa, also in, in some a lot of important ones in Southern Africa. But um, I'm talking in countries like Burkina Faso and, and Mali and, and Niger, which really have yet to be exploited. Uh, the Chinese move in there with money and building roads, and uh, they they manage to get. Uh, access to some really incredible mines with with the kind of metals and uh, minerals that that are valuable to their economy as it as it is. Well, the problem is they've come up against the French, and West Africa is really French territory for all practical purposes. Uh, it was, as you know, uh, France uh, was the colonial chief of West Africa. All of those countries still speak French. And the French split from their colonies in a lot more peaceful way than most of the other European countries did. Um, and so the, Chinese, the French don't hesitate to send the Foreign Legion into West Africa. Well, the Chinese can't do that. Uh, they can use their money and they can offer to build schools and they can offer to build roads and say, we want access to these minerals because of this and this and this. 
But if they're coming up against the French military, it's going to be a little difficult because they can't introduce their military to the picture. And now that we have uh, the terrorist issue involved in northern Africa, uh, it's given the French an even greater justification for being in that area. So uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see where China goes yeah, they're here. certainly trying to um, uh, project power all over the world. There's saber rattling about Taiwan. And of course, we know what's happened in, in Hong Kong. Uh, but back to the to the actual uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. What do you think about this this scenario? Let's say that by accident that this got out of the lab, like we're, we're saying here, and it started to spread around the world. Uh, I'm not saying it's not real. Some people are saying, oh, it's it's a conspiracy. It's not real. Obviously, it's real. Obviously, people are dying from it. But one of the things that I get confused about is, you know, for example, California, like making these decisions for like a year out from now. Uh, They said in September that Broadway would be closed until June of the uh, of this next year it, it's oh, and then they're saying masks now for the foreseeable future it's almost like what's the most negative perspective we can have <laughs> and we're going to run with that i mean what happened to optimism it almost seems like there's some people that are hoping for the worst with this is there a money to be made by like looking at the glass always as half empty and we're never going to get to the end of this you know, uh, you just you just said some something so tremendously important, um, Jim. When was the last time you were down in Texas? Oh, I haven't been to Texas in maybe a year and a half or two years. I used to live in Dallas. Okay. Well, I can tell you right now, in large parts of Texas, there are no more masks. Wow. Okay. The area that I live in, um, which is uh, in between, it's the Texas Hill Country. It's in between Austin and San Antonio. You see, uh, you walk into a convenience store, you'll see a third of the people wearing masks and the others don't. Um, it's, and I think that this is a, a growing phenomenon. And I think it's something you also will see in Louisiana and Mississippi. Um, and, um, I don't know why I choose to wear a mask. It's a courtesy that I feel is important uh, because of the fact that I know people who, who who are sincerely concerned. So it doesn't it doesn't hurt me. So I I wear the mask. But um, I'll tell you there are some real concerns. Uh, and it comes out of the intelligence com- community. To be frank with you, we see a continued shocking rise in new cases of uh, COVID-19 being uh, declared all over this this country. But in most states, the death rate has stayed as, as, as low as it's been since the crisis began. Now, people are beginning to wonder, how does that happen? How do you have a continued uh, tremendous increase in cases, but the death rate isn't also markedly uh, uh, rising? Now, I, I know speaking for Texas, there has been absolutely no rise at all um, in in the, the rate of people, uh, uh, fatalities. Um, 
So what you have is you have people wondering, let me see, are we, have we reached the point to where if there is any question that what this person might have, it could be one thing or COVID, we're going to always err on the side of COVID? Yeah, or if someone falls um, off a ladder and dies, like a story last week, they <laughs> say it was related to COVID because they had COVID in their final blood test, you know, after they were deceased. Oh, yeah. This is what makes me wonder, Eric, because I'm thinking to myself, uh, what's the agenda here? Uh, again, we don't go off the deep end and say, well, this is all conspiracies. But I, I just wonder, like, for example, I guess the number in – um, in, in New York City was like a 3% positivity rate. And then this, uh, you know, Andrew Cuomo comes out and he's shuts everything down, shutting all the schools down. And, and, and that's a really low positivity rate. And of course, he's already published his book that he's the, the hero of the COVID-19 crisis. He was the leader, oh, sure. the leader of all leaders. And the book is already out. Maybe he's afraid that there might be a, a final bad chapter to that book if he doesn't act really quickly. But uh, I think we, we now know the death rate is down. We now know, for example, that there's not a problem in schools that that schools can open and this is not the problem that we thought we now know that a large uh, per, large and growing percentage of our population has already had it and now has antibodies whether those last forever or 6 months or a year we we don't really know that yet but i think it's largely agreed on that those antibodies will protect you for some period of time maybe it'll be months maybe it'll be years but it seems like they're just so quick to shut everything down and we know there's a spike in domestic violence. There's suicides that go up. There's child abuse. There's b people going bankrupt, people having heart attacks. There is an offsetting consequence of these shutdowns. Um, I read an article last week. They said it's brinksmanship. They want to shut everything down again because that way these blue states can demand money that uh, they need money. They've been mismanaged for 10, 20, 30 years, underfunded pensions. Oh, yeah. they, they, they need money. And so under the cover of COVID-19, they can get these giant bailouts if they can look, you know, make things look bad enough. And and that money goes well beyond what the COVID-19 really affects were. It's it's let's cover our, our Illinois pension for teachers that we've underfunded for 30 years with this money. This becomes a windfall from COVID-19. Well, there's there's one very, very important point to what you, you mentioned. I'll, I'll try to make this quick because I, I know we're on a bit of a time limit here. Uh, when when you tell people that, you know, you really aren't allowed to ask questions, first of all, that's un-American, um, but uh, you're not allowed to ask questions about COVID because it's such a sensitive issue and people are dying. And I see that repeated in the election. You're not allowed to ask questions about things that seem to be a little bit odd in the election because that makes you un-American and, uh, to be frank, a racist. Um, <laughs> right. I've, I've got to tell you, I, I am seeing some things with regards to this election. Um, again, I, I, I still work within the intelligence community that I, I just don't get. I've spent half my life in the third world. I, I know what fraud looks like. I know how I know how it's structured. I know how you hide things. I know how you make people feel guilty so they don't talk about things. And I am very concerned about 
about the fact that people don't even want us to ask the questions. And um, it, the media has become the armed wing of the left in this country. That's just, um, the, there's no other way to put it. Uh, they're so aggressive. Um, and I, I'm very frightened for, for what's going to happen. I guess I'm more frightened than anything else because I, I just I, I, I see President Trump as being someone who is not going to step aside. It's just not going to happen. Well, let, let me interject um, and, and ask you, don't you think that it would be a good thing for all parties concerned, all parties concerned that we know? that there was no fraud or like, like, in other words, that's why we have these options for a candidate to call for an audit. And these were razor thin margins. Absolutely. Wouldn't this be good for everybody? Like, so that if Joe Biden is the legit guy, um, like I said, from day one, if Joe Biden is a legit guy, then that's fine. But we're, we're seeing these numbers where he in certain areas had more votes for him than Obama got in those areas than Hillary got in those areas. We're seeing, you know, stories of like stacks of pristine ballots in the hundreds that were delivered mysteriously with no creases in them, but they were supposedly mail in ballots. There's a lot of anecdotal stuff. And I don't think anybody wants this to be a, an election where we ever wondered if our number one right of 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 voting for our leaders is really in doubt or not. But you're right. Uh, it would seem like the media would be right there saying, well, you know, if people have questions, we need to get to the bottom of it. That's why there's this buffer of like, what, three months between the election and the president being sworn in. It's not like November 4th, Biden had to be sworn in. So, you know, we don't have time. We've got to get the new president in place. There's a buffer for this reason. Uh, isn't it in everybody's best interest that we know the truth? Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Jim, when was the last time that Georgia voted for a Democrat? <laughs> I think it was 92 by eight, eight by 8,000 votes. They voted for uh, Bill Clinton, only 8,000 votes over Bush. And that was when yeah. Ross Perot ru uh, ruined the election for Bush. Um, but, uh, you know, this makes me so focused on, on Georgia, you know, that people aren't questioning, well, what is actually happening there? And when you have Michigan, where only two counties in the entire state voted blue, these are reasons why people need to say this deserves to be reviewed. And uh, if we don't, um, I, I don't, I think we look, we're looking at a change uh, in our system that that we may not be able to fix, um, and I, I'm I'm very very uh, frightened uh, if if we don't have some legitimate review of 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 some of these these counts. Um, that's that's my opinion. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but um, I, I'll tell you. Uh, uh, I, I just don't. You know, uh, just real quick. Uh, Tuesday night on the election, I'm sitting there watching Fox News, and it's 11:30 at night. Now I'll, I'll be quick about this. 12:30 your time. Hey, no, no Fox rush. News by the way, the, the, we're we're no longer on the network, so I own my own network stream. So, oh, so good for you. Yeah. Well, so I don't. I, like we could talk as long as you want to talk. I mean, until the coffee okay. runs out, right? <laughs> oh, well, I, I appreciate I, I appreciate that because I love to hear myself talk. 
Um, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm sitting there watching. I'm watching Fox News, uh, and which has become really questionable lately. But I'm watching Fox News, and uh, there's the the nice blonde woman talking, and she says, "Let's go to our desk because we're about to make a call." And they go to the electoral desk, and there's the guy sitting there, and he says. With 56% reporting, we've decided to call Arizona for Joe Biden. And I almost fell out of my seat. 56%, they're going to call a <laughs> uh, battleground state? Yeah. And I, I looked over, I, I looked over at my, my, my mother and, and uh, her shock. And we both were very surprised by what we were seeing on TV. And, the lady, the blonde lady, she was shocked too, and she asked him, "How is it that our own people feel comfortable making this call with only fifty-six percent of the vote counted?" And he said, "We compared the geog, uh, the the ballots from 2016, the geographical locations where the Democrats were most strongest in Arizona." to the mail-in ballot locations, and the mail-in ballot locations matched those locations in 2016. And I sat back and I thought, he just told us that he opened the mail-in ballots. <laughs> He's not supposed to open those ballots until all the ballots are counted from yeah. the state. Right. All, all the daily ballots. You don't open the mail-in ballots till those those come last. Well, obviously, if he saw where those mailing ballots were mailed from, he had to open them. Yeah, so so and that was why they told us the middle of the night thing happened because those ballots come in later, uh, and they they then get open later. Exactly. And yeah, there's so many weird things like that, including that live. I've seen several of these videos. I don't know if you've seen Americ, where they show like the live feed. Um, a lot of people putting these up on Twitter and YouTube where you see the live feed and then you see like that freeze frame where the switch takes place. And there there seems to I don't know. I, I don't know if if, the, if this is, uh, you know, camera tricks or what people are doing, but there's so many strange things going on. And, and, and with the CIA, I, I know the term gaslight is probably not the term. It's probably psychological operation. Uh, but a lot of people are upset that like Joe Biden's whole team uh, they're marching forward. I guess to, uh, Tuesday will be uh, several cabinet cabinet members will be named. Everyone's referring to him as president elect. Um, they're demanding their money for the transition. But yet the election is not certified and is not conceded. Is this a, a tactic that is used uh, to just keep pushing the narrative that Joe Biden is already has already been elected? And now Trump is being accused of trying to overturn the election, even though it's not Absolutely. official yet. Absolutely. You know, tonight, Jim, I'm watching my TV and, and I'm looking at um, uh, Oprah, uh, who I think owns half of the country. Uh, and she's <laughs> right. sitting there with Obama. And she and Obama are talking about President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. And they're talking about the difficult job that has been left for them by by Donald Trump. And I said, well, they're just what well, they think it's a fait accompli. And they think it's a fait accompli because they say that they think the more they say it, because who says no to Oprah? 
and right. who says no to Obama. <laughs> the more they say it, the more it becomes uh, uh, fact. There are a lot of interesting things that are happening right now in, in Washington. And I, it's been very, very difficult for me because I've noticed a lot of my friends who are conservative. Uh, I choose to live in Texas. I'm a Texan. Go Cowboys. It's just the way it is. Even yeah. though I was raised in, in Europe, uh, I, um, I, I, the people that I know, these very salt of the earth farmer types, they have become very suspicious of the CIA. And it really, really causes me tremendous sadness to see that. Um, when I joined the CIA, I, I, the, the people that I immediately met and the people that I worked with and the people that I went through in my training and through the, the farm and that I worked with and all of these horrible, nasty places around the world, they were the greatest people you would ever meet. Real patriots, real uh, honest caring people who believed in freedom and were giving up so much because of that belief. And I know those people are still there. They don't have a say-so when Obama decides to put Brennan in charge of the CIA. And they don't have a say-so when Obama decides to put Leon Panetta, a finance guy, in charge of an intelligence agency. Uh, of course, what he was doing was politicizing everything, which is what he did for eight years. But uh, I, I feel bad because, you know, people hear about what happened with the uh, the, the narrative and the Trump and the, uh, the Russians uh, trying to help Trump and the, the, the prostitutes in the hotel room, all that ridiculous stuff. And, and it's always connected to the CIA. And in reality, it's not. It's always connected to another intelligence agency overseas, with usually the FBI as the middleman. But um, I just want to assure everybody, you, you don't have to worry about the CIA. You don't have to worry about your intelligence folks. They are out there right now, as always, as they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and 30 years ago, fighting the bad guys because the bad guys are still there. And they're loving every minute of what they're seeing right now in this country. I've just always like thought I've always thought there was just this tiny percentage of bad actors uh, in the FBI, even, you know, that it, I've never believed it yes, was just, uh, you know, but there are these, you know, Peter Strzok and these strange, you know, plan B texts that went back and forth and all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. there, I mean, and, and that can make the whole agency uh, get tarnished. But I want to ask you, how, how does this how do you see this ending? Um you know, a Mitt Romney would probably come forward right oh. now and he would concede and he would apologize for even asking for the recount. Trump is not that kind of guy. I mean, if there if this was not handled properly, if there was either fraud or incompetence or a combination thereof in these key states, uh, Trump is going to take this as far as he can take it, I believe. What, what do you think is going to happen? You know, uh, what a, what a, a tough, uh, a tough question there. You throw the tough one for me at the end there, Jim. <laughs> Good one. Um, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're right to, to, to wonder because, um, I 
actually expected some things to have already taken place that haven't. Um, and it's a reminder, as my friends tell me, that we have a whole uh, network of rhinos whose uh, fortunes and uh, stock options and uh, and colleges for their kids all depend upon them staying good rhinos, keeping that political uh, all their political uh, uh, connections healthy. And those rhinos have done more to betray this administration and the American people. And I, I'm talking, for instance, a, a, a really good one is the uh, the Secretary of State in, in Georgia. Absolutely appalling, his comments and his attitude during the recount. And then we've got these legislators up in Michigan. And what's being asked of these people is not for them to flip an election. What's being asked is for them to take a look to see whether or not we do have the right to demand integrity in our elections. And they're telling us we don't. And they're Republicans. Yeah. So that that frightens me. But we are talking about Trump here, and I just don't see Trump. <laughs> Trump is, is not going to take. He's not going to take no. Uh, if he believes he has been, um, uh, you'll excuse the French, screwed. He's going to uh, uh, fight to the end. I, I honestly believe that. Um, and it's also look. I've got my sources that a lot of them are, um, you know, in different places. There are real issues with Virginia, Jim. I didn't know if you knew that. And there are issues with Arizona as well. Um, uh, real issues that 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 point to Trump winning the actual count. Wow! And um, and uh, a lot of people are surprised by the Virginia, which I I, I was too when I first heard it. Um, so I, I think we've got quite. Well, you know what's weird, Eric, here. about about Virginia is I'll, I'll tell you when you said that it just clicked with me. Virginia Trump is leading like, uh, you know, well into the night and then boom, all of a sudden it flips. And what was funny about that was the the commentators, I flipped around on the channels and at that time I was watching CNN and the CNN guy said that the, uh, the guy that stands by that magic board, John King, he says, but watch, watch what's going to happen as soon as this, the votes start coming in from Fairfax County. Northern Virginia. Yeah, yeah. Northern watch watch Virginia. what's going to happen. And it was almost like within a few minutes, it's like, boom, all of a sudden the whole state is blue. And 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 that's when he said this. He uh -huh. said, he said, this is just like 2016. And I'll tell you what gave yep. me what gave me chills the other day was I heard somebody saying and, and I don't want to go off the deep end here, but I heard somebody saying that that if there's funny business in this election, there was probably funny business in the last election, maybe even two elections ago. And man, oh, man, did that just make me uh, I don't know, just something made me feel weird. I thought to myself, wow. I mean, it could have been president, could have well, been President McCain, could have been President Romney. I mean, we don't know. I mean, if they could if they could rig this one, maybe they rigged more than just this one. 
You know, um, I the, the one the, the one politician that I am the most apt to listen to as of late has been uh, uh, Dan Crenshaw from Texas. Yeah, um, because Good guy. He's, he's my kind of a guy. I did most. Uh, I spent most of my career working with uh, SEAL teams and uh, special forces in in real stinkholes uh, around uh, the Middle East. And, and I, I enjoyed it because I liked the people I was working with. And of course, uh, uh, Dan was, is a Texan and, um, you know, but uh, I, 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 I think, you know, one thing we, that just absolutely fascinates me is if you take a look at, uh, when uh, Trump went to bed at night and he had an 800,000 vote lead in Pennsylvania and a, a 200,000 vote lead in Michigan and all these huge numbers. If you actually took all of the mail-in ballots and, you know, added them all up to see how many went for Biden and how many went for Trump, that would have allowed Biden to have taken over all of these uh, leads. I mean, we're looking at Biden winning 75 to 80 percent of the mail-in votes. That that's mathematically uh, just not reasonable. It's just not reasonable, and that's what we would hear from the other side. Um, so for me, I, I I would like. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know how it's going to be accomplished. Uh, from what I hear, they're really hoping to get it to the Supreme Court. Um, I don't know that that is the greatest idea either because of Roberts, and I don't know who else is going to surprise us up there. But um, maybe that is the way out, Jim. Um, I, I think there's something else that is at play here, um, not at play really as a priority, but there are some interesting things that I've noticed the government has started talking about in the background that hasn't become a huge issue because of COVID and because of the election. And one of them is the UFO issue. Um, it's sneaking up on us. Say that again. Uh, if, if, say if, say if, that if again. I, you kind of cut out. The U.S. Say it again. What? What's the issue? The, the UFO issue. UFO issue. Okay. Yeah, we haven't heard it, much about it, UFOs it, in the last two or three months, but we had all these like confirmed sightings and the military confirming all these anomalies and things that can't be explained. And, and that sort of disappeared off the radar screen. Well, I, I can I can tell you what what happened a few months ago and actually last year and the year before was a huge shock to me. It was an issue as someone who used to work where I worked that I never thought was going to uh, really reach a rational public discussion in my lifetime. Um, and to see some of the things come out, things that I was aware of already, the, the videos from the military, and, and believe me, I'm, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but there's a lot more than that. Um, and I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if maybe we're going to start seeing the government become a, a lot more uh, open about things that they haven't been because they can kind of slide it in under the door behind these these, these monstrous uh, priority issues like the COVID in the election. And Eric, so, some people have said uh, some people have said Trump on the way out. Let's say he does ultimately lose. 
on the way out the door, he could declassify a ton of stuff. Um, somebody said maybe we'll finally know everything about the JFK assassination. Maybe we'll know everything about UFOs. Maybe we'll know all the dirty laundry on all of the people, you know, in Washington, D.C. Maybe Trump will take the whole place mm-hmm. down like Samson did when, when he uh, brought the temple down. I mean, who knows, right? <laughs> well, you know, uh, Samson did not have—I uh, don't know if Delilah was nearly as beautiful <laughs> as Melania, but um, I, I, I have to tell you, I, 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 I don't think Trump, as as crazy as this sounds, I don't think Trump has the clearance to authorize the UFO disclosure. But certainly, the other things he could talk about, yeah, um, uh, the you know. Uh, I I would like to I would be very interested in that, um, but you know uh, as it is right now I've just recently recovered my health and uh, I my the second edition of my book is coming out and I'm thinking very much about wanting to return to work as a as an instructor at the agency so we will see it. That's if great. It's under it, president, president. <laughs> if you haven't said too much tonight, that didn't burn that bridge. But uh, tell us about the uh, the book. I know it came out in 2015, right? Tell us uh, Mukabarat Baby, if I said that right. And uh, I, I had a lot of fun the last time you were here telling us uh, that what that means, Mukabarat Baby, and your story of being poisoned in there and all of that. Give us like a little one-minute uh, spiel on the book and how people okay. can buy it. Gotcha. Well, the title of the book is Muhabarat, M-U-K-H-A-B-A-R-A-T, but I'm sure it'll be on your website. That that translated in Arabic means CIA. Uh, it was not my smartest choice, Jim, to be honest, to, to make that the title of my book, because <laughs> people don't recognize that. Right. But the second edition is going to be called In the Eye of the Spy, and I have been able to uh, really elaborate on a lot more things um, with the with the agreement of, of the agency. Everything I do has been uh, cleared with the agency and redacted. I'm a 100% team player, um, and so I do want to comment. I mean, in, in my in the second edition, I do comment on a number of things that have happened uh, since. 2015, um, and um, uh, that that is uh, what what the the new edition is about. I will tell you, um, I was very ill when I first started writing the book in 2012, and um, it's been a, a real. Uh, I I thank God every day for the blessings that I have to have been able to recover my health as I have. Because I had been poisoned in, in Kosovo by a, a Russian I was working against operationally. Um, there's a little bit more about that in the second edition as well. So, but I thank you so so much for having me on again. I wish I could come on more often because I, I had a lot of fun talking with you. Hey, well, you're one of our uh, favorite guests, and I'm glad we were able to cover. A lot of different stuff. So, you know, as the uh, as a topic warrants and the news develops on all these different things, 
we'll definitely uh, keep you on our hotline and get in touch with you. And thank you so much for taking time to be with us. I loved your book. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a very interesting story and uh, be a great gift, too, for the holidays if people want to pick that up. And I just put the uh, link, folks, over on our Facebook stream and our Twitter stream uh, for the book. And if you can't find it for some reason, send me an email, jim at christianmoney.com, and I will uh, get you linked for uh, the book. Eric Burkhart, former CIA agent, author of Muka Barat, Baby, My Life is a Wartime Spy for the CIA. (laughs) Good to have you with us, sir. We hope you'll come back again soon. Thanks. Thank you so much, Jim. You're a good man, and I'd much appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. God bless. Uh, Wow. That was great, wasn't it? Uh, That guy can roll, man. He just rolls with the discussion. I love that. I love that. So many guests, it's like, well, this is my topic, and we're kind of stuck in this box, these boundaries, but not not Eric. Uh, Eric Burkhart, a former CIA agent. And uh, what a great book, too. Uh, I read his book. uh, Very fascinating. True story of his years working for the CIA, even being poisoned uh, by the Russians. Wow. Uh, Fantastic guest segment. I hope you enjoyed it. And remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. Happy Thanksgiving. God bless. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody.